Hello, my name is Salsa, and I have spent nearly two decades of my life in the performing arts. In that time, I have become fascinated not only with creating art, but with the craft of creating art. Beyond the passion that drives us to create, there is a deliberate and analytical side that dictates how our art manifests itself. And sometimes, the thinking about the art becomes as much of a passion for us as the art itself. In this project, I sit down with a few of those people who share that passion. The overthinkers. The philosophers. And when it came time to decide who to talk to first, it was an easy decision for me. I am Eric Thompson. This is Eric. I am a performer and director of Academy at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival. I am the assistant artistic director of Fearless Comedy Productions. And I am the director and producer of several different shows, but the longest running one would probably be Double Blind Improv. In his capacity as director of Academy at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival, it is Eric's job to teach performers how to be better performers. So it took no coaxing at all on my part. Eric had things to say. I think there's a term that we're going to be using a lot that I kind of want to talk about. And I think it's a term that you hear a lot from performers, but not as much from people who don't perform. And that's the word bits. Mm -hmm. Kind of how we refer to just the different things that we do. Right. And just the kind of idea that when we're teaching people about like street performing and things like that, and we talk about the different bits that they're going to come up with, that's something that I think a lot of people are confused on and kind of how all that works. So I always like to think of it as similar to kind of like a catchphrase for a character in a TV show or something like that. You know, something that, you know, a character may do over and over It's something that's common. It's something that is easy for them to use. And it's something that that character is kind of known for. And the idea that, uh, like, as a street performer, those totally develop, like, organically over time. There are things that, like, you say one day, and then you realize it works. And then you say it again, and it doesn't work quite the same way. And you start going, wait a minute. Why did it work here and not work here? or you get a different reaction, or they say something differently. And there's this kind of idea of like ownership over that sort of thing. One thing that I learned very early on, and it was a huge mistake on my part, and I'm really glad that I did it, looking back on it. So also you and I have a mutual friend, Eric Knight. Mm-hmm. And he's been performing at Renaissance Festivals, did the circuit for a while. He's been doing that for years and years. And... uh he does this wonderful thing where he bookends a lot of people's days. Mm. He's the first person they see and the last person they see. Or one of the first people, one of the last sure, people. Yeah, he parks himself right inside a front gate. So, And he talks to thousands of people. And he had this wonderful bit that he would do that I'm not going to say <laughs> because I don't want to put his own That's things fair. out there. But somebody would be walking up with food And he would say the same phrase to them and then wait for their response. And my first year at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival, I was a solo street character. No support for 10 hours. I had one thing that I went to, which was the parade. And then that was followed by vilification tennis. So I had like an hour and a half of my day blocked. And then the rest of the 10 hour day 
was whatever happened. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of being nervous and trying to talk to people and things not working as well as I wanted to and kind of getting in my own head. And I remember one day early on, I went to the front gate near the end of the day. It was a little earlier than normal people would head up that way because I didn't really have much else to do. And Eric is up there and we're both talking to people on their way out. I'm trying to, I'm trying things and I'm trying to get used to things. And Eric goes backstage to get some water. Says he'll be right back. And then I did what is a terrible thing, but I was new and had no idea. And I did that bit. Oh, you stole the bit. Yeah, I, I think I could see where that would go on. And it went really well. And Eric came back out. And he knew I was having a tough time. And uh, he comes out and he was like, so, do you have fun while I was gone? I was like, yeah, there, you know what? Somebody walked up with food and I said the thing. And it went really well, and he stood there for a minute, and he goes, two things. One, I'm really happy that you had a good interaction. Mm-hmm. And two, please don't use my bit. It's something that I've worked on, that I've developed, that I use, and it, it, it's something that I, I created. Please right. don't use that. And that kind of hit me really hard, and that kind of started building my philosophy around performing. And then a few years later, there was a newer performer who we know who who I won't name. He was atop the gate, and as people were coming in, uh, I have a bit I do with uh, people who are wearing their hat backwards. And he did that bit. Mm -hmm. And the person walks in the gate, and I see him wearing the backwards hat, and I go to do the bit, and he goes, guy on the gate already got me. And that felt like a punch to the gut. Oh, I believe it. Just the idea that this thing that I'm built and I created mm-hmm. and that I know when to use it and why to use it and why I respond in certain ways because I've had all these different reactions from doing it hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Sure, yeah. And then all of a sudden it was just taken. And I walked up on the gate and I approached the guy immediately and was like, hey, don't do this. And he said, his reply was, well, I only did it once. I said, right, but you know, this is what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, please don't do that. And he was understanding, which was great. So that's one of the things I try to very much instill in new performers when they are going through Academy out there, when we're training them on how to perform on the street is that, yeah, other people are going to hear, are going to say things that you're going to like, that's really clever. That's really interesting. Maybe I'll do that. Well, don't. You don't want to be the 20th person to tell somebody with an empty stroller that they lost their kid. You can be more clever than that. Sure. You can be the first person who does something that makes them laugh, Mm -hmm. rather than the 20th who says something that is starting to piss them off. You know, because I, I, you know, there's definitely two sides to it. Uh, there's the side of a, it's theft. You know, you're you're stealing mm-hmm. what somebody has worked really hard to do, and and don't get me wrong, it's work. <laughs> you know, somebody right. has labored to produce this bit, and the second half of that is you're doing yourself a disservice by mm-hmm. not developing your own voice. And really, you know, you're you're just mimicking something that somebody else has said, and that's you're you're not 
you're not growing as a performer. Right. And part of it, I think, is putting in the work. Sure, this person who used the bit may have seen me do it three or four times and might have seen a few of my responses. But in general, I think when performers create a bit, especially an interactive one for street performing, you maybe have the beginning as a phrase that you might always say. Like, I may always walk up to a, you know, a couple who one of them is holding a flower and they're kind of, you know, acting romantic and intimate with each other. And I might walk up and say, pardon me, did they buy you that flower? And that is always my in for that. And then uh, they'll always say yes. And then I'll look at the other one and say, well, what did you do wrong? And then we start playing. Mm-hmm. Because there are a dozen different ways that can go. Right. And it starts with that question. And depending on their response, you could go any number of ways. But those kind of things you have to handle with care. Because I don't really ever go in trying to insult the audience. Even if somebody is being frustrating or rude... I still try not to insult the audience because in that case, you're just encouraging them. Sure. Yeah. So you're either discouraging them from interacting if they're good audience, or you're encouraging them to be more of a jerk if they're bad audience. Mm-hmm. It's a lose, lose game. They're getting attention. Yeah. So part of it is like, I know all the times that I've tried this bit and it is messed up. Mm-hmm. And I know how to shy away from that. Or maybe I'm working to learn to shy away from that. Yeah, um, def- I I actually have in, in my show, I used to have a bit, I've actually cut it from the show now because it became problematic. But if I saw a couple sitting together and I assumed they were a couple and then started asking questions as if they were a couple and then discovered that it was like a brother and sister or something like that, then the whole bit fell apart. Because mm-hmm. my premise is gone and the joke I'm leading up to depended on them being a couple it just became too much of a problem and so I've cut it from my show entirely Mm -hmm. and like there's something to be said about you know failing gracefully Mm -hmm. if you're leading into some bit and you have the audience's attention and they can see where it's going and then it falls there's a point where you don't try to save it anymore and you you just go well that didn't work and then move on, and that'll yep. get more of a laugh than any other thing you could probably think of to sure, yeah. try to warm your way out of it. Mm-hmm. There are some times where you just go, oh, no, you're right. I screwed that up. And I think that's that's another thing about bits, is you have to commit to them. We've had discussions before that if you were making a joke about leaving, you don't get to not leave. Yep. If you and I were doing something on the street at the festival and I told you if you did whatever thing one more time then I'm going home and then you do that thing and I decide I'm not going to leave anymore I am no longer committed that Mm -hmm. breaks the whole the whole facade you know how I would gladly walk away from that and you're going to leave a dozen people standing there going "Is, is he coming back yeah you have to commit to it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that early performers don't really... I think they don't understand. 
and they do the that five steps walk away and then they go oh never mind I changed my mind or something like that but mm-hmm. yeah but it, it it's really a letdown to the audience right when you do something like that because now everything you have said becomes suspect mm-hmm. you know the next thing that you say I'm gonna do this it has no teeth you know mm-hmm. you have no more you don't have any uh, no authority more trust I- integrity to mm-hmm. you know t- for them to believe in you that the trust is gone that you're going to follow through. So, uh, you and I did a wonderful bit last year that just came out of us being bored, which was uh, <laughs> with lines of people. And I remember walking up to you and just saying, "Hey, Casimir, do you want to do you want to go shopping with me?" And you were like, uh, <laughs> "Like what shop?" And I'm like, "Oh, just out here." <laughs> yep. It really was the most. And this actually is a great segue into a question I had is how do you start a bit? You know, you know, bits don't come from nowhere, obviously, but what's, sure. what's the process of, of creating that bit and, and then, and then developing it into a fully fledged thing. So yeah, I think this is a great place to start there. Yeah. So, uh, with that one, I'll, I'll take a step back to start addressing the question. When we're looking at bits, um, I think the important thing to look at for a bit isn't it isn't what clever thing can I say, and I think that's an easy mistake for people to make. I think it's more along the lines of what is an easy thing to talk to people about, or what can I talk to a lot of people about? Mm-hmm. Um, part of that is thinking like, what do people have in common? For instance, I mentioned the bit that Eric did earlier that Eric Knight did, which just requires somebody to be walking out holding food. I mentioned a bit that I did regarding somebody holding a flower or uh, someone with a backwards hat. I think part of it is just trying to figure out what are easy things that you can comment on that somebody is going to understand immediately. You don't have time to set up a premise. You don't have time to give someone a backstory or give them all the rules of engagement. You want to walk up and say something that basically is like, I mean, realistically, when we were shopping for clothes, our in was basically, hello, person wearing clothes. That was it. Which, which should hopefully be instantly recognizable <laughs> to anyone. Right, right. <laughs> um, and that just that started with complimenting people's outfits and then getting to a point where we were asking how much they wanted for them and treating it like it was a fashion show. Mm-hmm. And realistically, it's just, what can I start a conversation with? And I think that's a good place to start. And as you just start going, okay, I'm going to talk to people who are looking at their phone or talk to people who are, you know, wearing a backwards hat or wearing sunglasses mm-hmm. or whatever it is, as long as you are kind of clear in that first pitch they're going to be on the same page and if they're on the same page then they're willing to go with you a little bit and I think one of the beauties about performing at a renaissance festival is there are so many people that you can just try something over and over and over again it's really easy to get discouraged when you go out there and you try something because a lot of times it won't work but if you keep trying it, you can keep tweaking things and you can keep changing things. And I think that's where a lot of the 
that's where a lot of the magic happens where you try something and you see that it starts to work and you go, okay, let's keep taking it in that direction. Just the changing of a word can make all the difference. Uh, in my bit with the backwards hat, I will ask them if I am hip because that wording immediately shows that I am completely out of touch. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. The obvious answer is no. <laughs> and and it clearly makes me the butt of the joke. Right. So rather than making it feel like I'm mocking them, I am mocking myself. And that's easier for them to laugh at than if I was saying something that may be a bit more modern or maybe a bit more self-centered mm-hmm. or self-aware. Just those little tweaks in wording can make all the difference. And you're not going to get that right the first time. So, I mean, we've we've talked about, you know, obviously stealing bits is a bad thing, right. but sometimes there is a moment where somebody is doing a bit and you kind of dovetail onto it and join them in the game. And mm-hmm. where would you put the the line between stealing and playing with or joining the bit? Well, the the first key point is that they're there. If you're doing somebody else's bit without them, then clearly you've stolen it. You're not joining in on the fun. Part of it, I think, is... So we're talking about, like, in a performance situation, like, you are another street character at the same festival. Mm -hmm. And you know this performer. I'll I'll give you an example that springs to mind for me. There's there's a bit that has been done by many of us. Uh, at the festival is uh, outside of opening gate there's a bridge and I don't even remember how it started but somebody had a banana peel that they threw onto the ground (laughs) in the middle of the bridge and that was picked up by a lot of the people that were there and then it was done by those people a different day and that kind of became a bit that a lot of people did Mm-hmm. And, you know, does that was that a stolen bit or was that a communal bit? Or where do you think that falls? So things like that, I think, are a little weird because that's playing off of like old vaudeville tropes. That's like. Uh, <laughs> so I've, I've heard a story and I don't know. It's I've, I've heard it at, through so many people that I don't even know who was involved. It's apocryphal at this point. It's it's entirely possible that somebody listens to this and they were the person who was in it. And (laughs) I have no clue, but it was like years ago, there was somebody who was walking around who decided to put their mug on their head and just balance it on their head and walk around. And somebody else came up to them and said, "Uh, you can't balance things on your head. That's my bit. And it's like, people have been balancing things on their head for thousands of years. (laughs) Like you, there's there's a guy out at the Minnesota Renaissance Festival that balances probably like four feet of ice shapes on at his least, head. At, at least, and it's like nobody has a monopoly on balancing things on their head. But I would argue balancing ice is his bit, right? That's taking something and adding and changing it. It's evolving it. If there was a, if there was a musician who balanced an instrument on their head while they played another instrument, 
I think that is more of a unique thing than just saying you are balancing something on your head. That's my thing. That's mm-hmm. it's specificity. I think is what's important there. I mean, the the banana peel thing that that's a tough one. I think that would be like, you know, somebody throwing a pie and then somebody else saying, "Hey, I threw a pie last week. That's my thing." And it's like it's been around for a long time. And I'm willing to bet that they probably didn't do it in the exact same way that we did it as far as like tossing the banana peel, Mm -hmm. but maybe they did. And if they did, I mean, I feel like that's kind of open source, you know, (laughs) but I think that's a lot different than hearing somebody's, you know, talking points that they have set up that they know how their joke goes through and then taking that joke. There's, I mean, there's nuance there, but I would say that in general, if you're, if you're thinking, can I do that thing that I did with this person? I would say, ask them. Now, joining a bit is a little bit different. And I, I always kind of struggle with this. Unless somebody is doing something bigger and more like spectacle, I tend to not join. I try not to join too many conversations. I may say hello, and if they say hello and start to engage, I might stop. Otherwise, I just kind of keep going on my way. Going back to a comment you made earlier about even changing one word can have a big effect on the joke. When do you start that process of deciding which word needs to change? Do you you just try a bunch of stuff and throw it against a wall or do you kind of go uh, there's there's something not quite right with this and I'm going to try to use this word is, is it a lot more cerebral or is it a lot more just throw things at a wall and see what sticks <laughs> it's a bit of both I tend to obsess over words I have a lot of writing experience I like to write and I've written a bunch of shows and a, a slight change in wording can make all the difference. And I think, I mean, realistically, now that I think about it, probably most of that comes from writing poetry where, you know, one word just might not be right. It might be the right concept, but it might be the wrong sound, you know, and never think your writing is too sacred to just start switching things around. <laughs> like when I started kind of feeling like, well, I don't want to touch this because I really like it. Those are things that usually, because I never touched it, it never grew or changed. Mm-hmm. Never evolved. And then those got left behind. So it's always possible you find the perfect wording off the bat. Is it likely? No. So part of it is kind of playing around with what feels right. Mm-hmm. What is easy to say and easy to understand it doesn't matter if it's a fancy and fun word if they don't know what you're saying. It's about like communication is important, obviously, if you're going to be performing. But on the other hand, if you're looking at kind of how to change it during, you should always be watching and listening to your audience. Early on, I abandoned what I originally wanted to do with my street character because I realized that it was making the audience member who I was interacting with the butt of the joke. And I could tell when that happened 
because you could see you could see a little bit of like the nervousness or the embarrassment or the hesitance on their face. So for a little while, I tried to change some of the things and tweak that for when I started seeing people like pull back and kind of retreat a little bit instead of being open. And that worked a little bit, but overall it just, I didn't like how it felt. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think part of it is just taking the time to try it and then seeing how the audience reacts. If somebody gets upset, what did they get upset at? If somebody decides to end the conversation, what caused that? If somebody laughs, what did they laugh at? And who laughed? Is it the person you're talking to or is it the people around them? So it's, it's part of that is just trying to... It, it's going for a reaction and then seeing what reactions you're getting and tweaking things until you find that reaction. Think about what you're trying to say with each phrase. Like I mentioned earlier, asking if I was hip, which brings the focus back to me and gives them the upper hand. It gives them the power because now they get to decide. They get control. Mm-hmm. There are other ways that I could do it that would basically make it so that I'm talking and they don't get a say because I'm just going to keep talking. And you see people get uncomfortable and kind of feel powerless because a lot of people don't want to be the center of attention. Mm-hmm. If you give them the ability to choose with the right wording, then you can twist all that around. So I think part of it is really just watching and listening to your audience. If you're doing a big stage show, it's the same thing. Did you say a line and you get the response you wanted? Or did you say a line and it fell flat? And if it fell flat, why? You know, change little things or tweak it. You might need to toss the thing altogether and just rewrite it. But honestly, make make some little changes. Just put a little thought to what you want, and if you're not getting it, just start working in that direction. When we were starting a new show last year uh, called The Understudies, where basically the premise is we're going to improvise a play using some weird random structures. We start the show with five or so minutes of us going out and we're sitting among and talking to the audience and we're picking out our seats because we're not in the show. We're just the understudies. The performers, they never miss a show. And we're kind of playing this off as we don't know we're about to perform. And for the first few times, when we got to the big gimmick of you know, oh, the performers aren't here and we have to perform this show that we never bothered to learn. We went up as with the idea of, oh, we have to perform. What are we going to do? We have to perform. And people didn't respond as well until we learned that we, for the reaction to be, we get to perform? We get to perform, and that little that excitement instead of that from have to to get to, right? Yeah, and it's just that little like flipping that switch goes from the audience being nervous for us to the audience being excited for us, Mm. and just that little switch just changed the energy for the beginning of the show, 
and it brought people in and it got them engaged and it's little things like that where you know you're doing it and you're like i want to do this but you're not getting the reaction you want what do we do differently and start kind of pulling those little things apart and i think the beauty there is you start to learn about some of the strategies and the skills behind things because honestly i know some amazing performers who have no idea why they do the things they do and they're just like well i say it because it works and i'm like oh <laughs> i am so mad at you right now because you just happened to luck into that you keep doing it because it works great here are the reasons why it works but sometimes you just luck into things but watching somebody else who is successful mm-hmm. and trying to break down what they do and why they do it and some of the timing and the delivery that honestly will go a long way to informing how you should go about creating things and then when you go to create your own shows create your own bits uh write your own stories you already know some of these rules that you've built off of things that you've seen and you're not always going to like what people do uh you might see somebody who has a bad show and go well okay the show seemed to turn when they did this thing why did things go wrong there and you'll start to learn things to avoid mm-hmm. so building up like a to-do and a don't do kind of list i think will really help sure. inform how to develop stuff mm-hmm. i think it's fun to be able to kind of play around with thoughts and ideas and i think it's important to know that not everything works for everyone there are there are people who say jokes and phrases and things like that that i am really envious of how they do it and their skill with it but it's something that i personally couldn't do because it doesn't mesh with my style of performance or you know who i am I think part of it is like as a larger white guy there are plenty of things that I shouldn't say as a performer. Mm-hmm. Um I would go as far as can't say but that's personal philosophy. There are things that I won't say. Mm-hmm. There are things that I won't do. Personally, I won't hit on any person who is under 30 <laughs> even though my character is flirtatious. And to be clear, I don't hit on audience members like honestly. Yeah, it's it's character. It, it it's it's character. But honestly, young women get enough of that. I'm not going to do it. Now if if things were switched around, if I was a different you know, if I was a different gender, a different race, there are different things I could do or say. Mm-hmm. Now there's still value in seeing, you know, a woman or someone non-binary or someone who is black or uh someone who is Hispanic, see them doing their performance even if it leans into that identity. It's still a good exercise to try to unpack that and think about why those things work and why they don't. Mhm. But I mean obviously <laughs> my line stops at stealing bits so it doesn't matter <laughs> you shouldn't <laughs> sure. do it anyway 
but there are some things that people can say in a certain style that I just can't do. Which is great, because honestly, who would want to go see the same style of performance over and over and over again? It's, I think it's more exciting to see some of that difference in performance style and difference in how people approach those ideas. So seeing as much performance as you can and trying to dissect that and learn from it, I think is really important. Before we wrap up, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think is important to touch on? There are two things and I'll try to keep them brief. Uh, I don't want to get too personal into one of them. When you're performing, uh, especially if you're performing regularly, you'll get attached to people and they'll get attached to you. It's, it's a good amount of perspective that you don't get to choose what's important to people. I used to do something where I just collected words from people who would come in the gate, have them write something down, and then we would just chat. And it was just me trying to figure things out. And it was the first day of the next season. And uh, a young woman walks in and sees me and her face lights up and she runs up to me and says, there you are. I have been waiting months to give you the perfect word. And I don't remember what she wrote down, but the fact is, this is somebody that I haven't seen for 11 months at Mm -hmm. this point. Uh, I have no idea who it is, but she remembered our interaction from before enough that when it got to be the spring, she started trying to think up of like the perfect word to give me when she saw me at the end of the summer. You don't get to pick what matters to people. It may just seem a little throwaway thing to you, and it may be incredibly important to them. So I think it's easy to think about performing and see all the little places that you've stumbled and little setbacks you've kind of fought through and things like that. And what we rarely get to see are the people we actually make a difference for. So I I think going into performing and thinking about how you are making somebody else's day better, you have the power to make people feel better, and you don't get to pick how that works, I think is a good way to combat the idea that a lot of performers have that we aren't enough and that we make mistakes and that we aren't as good as people think we are. You don't get to decide that. Only they get to decide that. And then the other thing is, uh, for anyone listening to this, you are ready. You will come up with all kinds of excuses as to why you can't do whatever thing you want to do, as to why you don't want to go to that audition or write that show or any number of things you are amazing at coming up with excuses because you will continue to do it over and over again. You're never going to be ready. You're never going to sit down and say, there is no obstacle for me to do this thing. Because honestly, when you get to that point, it's not interesting anymore. Don't wait. If you have that idea, if you want to do that show, if you want to write something or sing something or play something, Just do it. And it's not going to be perfect. And you know what? That's okay. Because that's how you grow. 
Curtains Unfurled is produced by me, Salsa Sterling. The music you are hearing was written and performed by also me. Yes, I do that too. Please like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash curtains unfurled. Subscribe to the show on iTunes or Google Podcasts and leave a review. I want to extend a huge thank you to Eric for agreeing to be interviewed and for taking the time out of his, as you can imagine, busy schedule. And thank you all for listening. And that's a wrap.